It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 53 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Drive, Nick Braccia on deck to discuss last weekend's UFC 248 where Israel Adesanya and Yal Romero stood in front of each other for 25 minutes. And we're going to get into the very exciting five-rounder between Wei Li Zhang, Yoanna Yanjacek, and we've got a UFC coming up this weekend, main evented by Kevin Lee as he goes up against the killer Charles Oliveira. Nikolai, good to be with you, buddy. Likewise, Tan. Yeah, it was a it was a really exciting card, except for that terrible main event. And on paper, the card, uh, the U, uh, UFC on ESPN plus twenty eight, Lee versus Charles de Bronx Oliveira, uh, actually looks to be you know fight by fight uh, potentially as exciting. Yeah, it really is a promising card. A bunch of solid names, considering this isn't exactly a pay per view card. And a lot to look forward to. It's nice to see a Brazilian card where you don't have a bunch of guys that you've never heard of before. I feel like that was the trend earlier on in the UFC schedule out there. But we've gotten to know a lot of these guys. There are a lot of known commodities from that region of the world now, whereas there used to be just kind of a handful of really elite guys. And uh, it makes this card a lot more interesting to look forward to. But first, let's talk about... The unfortunate. Uh, let's talk about Israel Adesanya versus Yal Romero. What were your thoughts on this one, buddy? What a letdown. Um, so, you know, I got to believe that there's more to the story there. Yoel Romero has been such an exciting fighter um, for six or seven years now. It's been really, really good. Uh, or he's been really, really great. And I I wonder if he just if he was injured if he wasn't able to train if his strategy was just to try to land one big shot around in steel rounds I don't know but what he was doing did not make any sense to me he really didn't fight uh, four and a half minutes around he fought four and a half minutes per round he fought with no urgency and I understand that Adesanya is a terrific counterfighter but. So, you know, figure it out. Train to fight a counterfighter. Like, use your use your wrestling like he did once or twice. I I don't know. Uh, I don't know what he was doing, but he certainly um, isn't someone who I expected to ever be accused of fighting with uh, timidity. And he was on the verge of, I think, losing a point for timidity. I, I, it was it was just really, really bad. Adesanya. Um, who, you know, he's a smart, he's a smart and strategic fighter who can be very creative. We've seen him, uh, you know, be a little defensive before he did land strong leg kicks, uh, but he was, you know, and he didn't, and he didn't take any, any silly risks. Um, so, you know, I, I don't even think this is a styles make fights thing where, the, where they didn't have the right style. I think, I think something was up with Romero and we just don't know what it is yet. Yeah, I'm not so sure something was up with Romero. I think it was more of a game planning thing. Romero tried the Valentina Shevchenko strategy. You know, the same one employed by Derek Lewis when he fought Francis Ngannou. Just do absolutely nothing. Unless your opponent foolishly runs into your fists, you will do nothing. That's the rule. Problem is, trying that tactic against a patient counter-striker who's more technical than you doesn't always work out well, right? Um, Adesanya did his best kind of Anderson Silva impression when he fought Damian Maya, Patrick Cote. He had a couple of bouts there where 
Dana White was really down on him. He was kind of staying out of danger against some really solid grapplers, grapplers that he thought were a big risk to him. And the thought is that both Adesanya and Silva did at those points of their careers is engaging is risky. So I'll just stay at my distance and hope some leg kicks will do the trick. This is always a risk when two counterfighters face off against each other or when a counterfighter fights someone who's scared of them, uh, in the case of Anderson Silva. To be fair, the one time Adesanya recklessly went in on Romero in that first round, he took a big punch for it. And Romero, I think, learned his lesson from that Whitaker-Adesanya fight in that when you attack him, when you're pushing forward, Adesanya has a great opportunity to hurt you badly. And so I think they both had plenty of reason to be careful And I think it's kind of weird that they're both blaming it on the other. Both guys were absolutely responsible for those performances. I think the argument could be made for either guy winning, given the fact that almost nothing happened in that first round, but Romero landed a big bomb. Given that Romero was pressing forward in that fifth round, I thought he deserved that one. And then the round two was probably the most up for debate, where Adesanya landed a few more maybe, but Romero looked like he was uh, throwing bigger bombs. The weirdest thing, man, and... Here's the thing. The good news is we had Paulo Costa ringside who pressures forward, right? He only attacks with big bombs at all times. He does best when he's in that mode. And Adesanya does best when his opponent is pressing forward and attacking at all times. So this is going to be kind of a combustion of a fight. And I really do appreciate Paulo Costa wearing his best silk blouse uh, to attend UFC 248, Nick. It was a great shirt. He he seems like such a D-bag. Whenever I see that guy, I feel like I can smell his cologne uh, through the television. Yeah, no joke. The word tool comes to mind when I see him outside yeah. of competition. I believe – I have, I think that here's, – here's how I think that fight goes. He's obviously very strong and impressive. Um, I think Adesanya's precision striking is – I think that's going to look a lot like the Whitaker fight. To be honest, I think Adesanya is going. He's going to. I think he's going to run right into, uh, right into a shot. Uh, I think the way that guys used to run into Machida, or um, the way that Whitaker got dropped by Adesanya. I think. I don't. I think Costa's way too um, aggressive and a little, a little sloppy and looping, and Adesanya is not. I think a lot of it depends on whether Adesanya's shots will hurt Costa early. Because if they don't, what we saw in this matchup against a more dense, heavy-handed, forward-moving fighter, and when I say forward-moving, I mean for a total of about 63 seconds in the entire 25-minute fight, when Yoel Romero was pressing forward, more specifically, I think, in that fifth round, Israel Adesanya was running the heck away. He literally turned around and sprinted. So I can see that same thing going through Adesanya's mind when Paul Acosta is throwing absolute wallop bombs at him. I think Costa probably hits harder than Romero, and he's certainly more aggressive than Romero. But it's the conditioning, I think, that'll really play the biggest factor. If Adesanya doesn't get finished or hurt terribly in the first few rounds, then I do expect him to look really good in those last two rounds where Boricinha will probably be exhausted. But I like. I wonder if we can get a petition going to maybe get Paul Acosta to be allowed to wear whatever shirt he wants as he walks into the fight, as he walks ringside. He doesn't have to wear it during the fight. But man, I need to see more of those gorgeous blouses. I think you should start wearing them. I don't know if I could pull them off, man. I, I don't have the... Oh, you definitely could. I feel like a, like Tool is written all over me already. Can I really afford a Paul Acosta shirt? Come on. 
Well, if I see one, I'm going to pick it up for you. I appreciate that, and it better be real silk, Nick, because my skin is very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to I'll go to Douchebags RS tomorrow on my way home. Nikolai from the office. Nikolai, you watch your mouth. You're hurting feelings here, sir. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> Not just my skin, by the way. So it did look to me like Adesanya outlanded him in three of the five rounds. But again, mm-hmm. it's really all about that second round, I think, uh, which is which is what kind of decides which one of them would win. I think based on this performance, based on what's good for the sport itself, it's great that Adesanya won the fight. It's nice to keep Adesanya undefeated. Yeah. I just hope that the matchmakers have this in mind, that the next time they pair up Adesanya with a heavy-handed counter-striker, it could be a boring fight. And I think with the right style matchup, this could be a repeat. But luckily at middleweight, we've got plenty of guys that are willing to run their heads into your fist. So let's talk about the co-main event uh, a little, which is one of the best fights I've ever seen. The real main event, Nick. Joanna Jacobs really, she really showed up. She had, uh, her, her technique looked awesome and she didn't back down. And it was, you know, it was volume and technique over, uh, versus strength and also I mean both of them had tremendous heart Weili Zhang uh, was in some tough spots and was certainly I mean you could tell that the lactic acid that the exhaustion was getting to her but she she dug dug real deep and fought through it also and I'm fine with the scoring even though Joanna maybe landed a little bit more it uh you know Jacob suffered a little from Frankie Edgar syndrome in this fight, there have been so many decisions. Some that uh, some that I think Frankie deserved, like the second fight against Benson Henderson, and others like the fights against Aldo, where you look at the the, the math and you're like, oh, there could be a case made for Frankie. But th- but then there's the point that Joe Rogan always makes, which is when Aldo would touch him, he'd go flying across the cage. Um, and I mean, jo- Joanna looked obviously looked like hell. She looked like the Elephant Man when when the fight was over, and her head was you know was getting snapped back. She was responding to those you know, those huge shots. Um, that doesn't mean that she didn't hurt Wei Li Zhang, but Wei Li Zhang hurt her a lot more over the five rounds. Um, it was just a terrific war of attrition. I think the best fight I've seen since Lawler, uh, McDonald too. And I think the right person won, but it was very close. Yeah. A phenomenal fight. I honestly, this is rare for me. I was so into the excitement of the fight and I found this fight to be so hard to score that I didn't really truly know who edged it and who earned it more. It seemed to me like Joanna may have gotten the slightest, slightest of edges. Because I do think even though Weili Zhang naturally has more power and is a more heavy-handed fighter, I do think Joanna was snapping those fierce, quick punches at Weili. And it seemed like the entire fight just kept going back and forth in tides, right? It wasn't so much that each fighter landed six shots in an exchange or that one fighter hit two and the other fighter hit three. It was tides. It was like Weili Zhang was doing well for about a minute and a half, two minutes, and then suddenly Yuan and Jacek was doing well for the next two minutes. And it just kept going back and forth. And every time that you thought that one fighter was damn near done for – she has one of those positive tides again. And every time that Weili Zhang looked tired in the middle of that fight, she somehow came back and continued to dominate the next minute or so of a fight. Even that first round, I think, kind of gives you the tell of the entire fight. It started with Joanna looking really good and making me regret my, uh, almost regret my Zhang pick. And then suddenly Weili Zhang just starts coming back in the second half of that first round. 
And my thought is, man, that's extremely hard to score. Both of them look really good for about two and a half minutes apiece. And then the stats come up on the screen during the live UFC, and they each landed 28 strikes exactly. So it was as close a fight, I think, as that round represents. And each fighter had some excellent moments. Now, Yoanni and Jacek walked into this fight looking like a confident champion, and she walked out looking like a lollipop with low self-esteem, Nick. The funny thing is, she has a solid argument to make about deserving that decision win, but I don't think the judges are going to give her a super close round when she just keeps swelling more and more and more. She's wearing the damage, and it's getting bigger. It was unlike anything I've ever seen, like ever, Nick. It was uncanny. I know the the scorecards were really all over the place. You had one you had one judge who gave uh, Joanna three, four, and five. You had one judge that gave her one in three. And you have another judge that gave her two and three. So the only fight that she won on every – only round that she won on every card was three, third round. But she it, she won all of the other rounds on at least one card. So it's, it was really – but then when you look at the um, the MMA media scores, you had 49-46 for Zhang. You had five of those. And then you had 11-48-47s for Zhang. And you had like six 48-47s for Zian Zhekic. So, uh, you know, scores all, scores all over the place. I'm excited to, to rewatch the fight. I, I am surprised that someone gave Joanna the fifth. I felt like that uh, Zhang finished very strong and that that, that that won the fight for her. To be honest, I think that if there's any fight that the judges are going to kind of each judge is going to think a different person won every round. Like this is one that's understandable because of those tides, because they each had uh, a couple of minutes of offense successfully at a time. And I don't remember my impressions of that fifth round specifically, but I did think that Joanna probably edged it by the tiniest margin of margins, but that way Lee Zhang was probably going to win, get the win from the judges because of the way that Joanna looked at the end of the fight. It's funny, you know, Joanna's like pretty big on social media and she's constantly posting and I was curious if she would post after this one because she was kind of, you know, weird about showing her head understandably after that fight. And literally she keeps posting like a warrior, like the champion that she has. But Nick, you don't really see anything above her lip line. She got seriously banged up. Um, but a great, but a great, great fight. Uh, the rest of the card, you know, the rest of the card had some good stuff on it. On the, the main card... Benil Daryush against Drakkar, close but no cigar, as he <laughs> charged at uh, charged at Daryush after hurting him, and uh, got a taste of his own medicine. He tested a fighter that he believed to be Chinny. Yep. Um, Daryush's chin held up. Close's didn't. Yeah. Hard, hard, you know, hard way to uh, fall in your first your first pay per view. But you know, Close had been in a lot of part of the pun very close fights up until then, never been finished. Kind of a guy who all of his fights feel like splits decisions to me. Yeah, I was thinking the entire time. Close realizes that Benil Daryush, when he loses, it's by knockout. And he fought like he realized it. The problem is that Daryush, unlike most other guys, that for a guy that's got three of those losses by knockout, Nick, he fights like he has a great chin. He's so fucking brave out there, man. He's so good about tilting his head off the center line when he lands bombs on you always moves his head while he throws and I think that's what helped him in a big way in this matchup 
he was able to land, man. He's fast and explosive in those first seven or so minutes, and he was able to essentially take care of business within two rounds on this uh, on this case. I was literally screaming at Daryush seconds before that finish, and I was saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Your chin's not good enough. He's not that hurt. And Daryush proved me wrong. He did his thing, and it was good to watch, man. He's one of my favorite fighters. He's just such a sweetheart, and he really is a killer-be-killed, exciting, exciting fighter. So really good to see Benil Daryush now on quite a bit of a winning streak, and Kind of proving some doubters wrong. Four in a row now for him. Uh, looking forward to seeing him fight somebody in the top five or six. Nick, do you have anyone in mind for this man? I mean, he's fought. He's fought so many guys. Let me uh, let me give it a look. What about you? Do you have anybody off the top of your head? For Darius, again, I definitely want somebody near the top. I don't think Paul Felder's down to fight somebody like Darius, but I would not complain about seeing that matchup. I think that would be interesting considering their styles. Um, as far as just a name that he can do well against, I think, and kind of put one on his resume, Ally Quinta might be good for him at this point in his career. Cerrone might be interesting. Who do you have in mind? Uh, I guess he's coming off of a loss, so Gregor. I guess Gillespie could maybe fight. Um, I'm into that. Could maybe fight. Could he could maybe fight close though? I actually think the winner of um, Darius against the winner of, of Kevin Lee Charles Oliveira isn't a bad idea. I'm into it. When is that, Nick? Is that like next month or? That's the fight that we're talking about in like 10 minutes. Oh, shit. I have 10 minutes to prep for that one. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. You, you were saying. Yeah, no. I think that makes a lot of sense, actually, for this matchup. I do think that if Oliveira ends up getting the upset this weekend, I think he's probably going to fight for a title shot. I don't think he's going to get it because the top of that division oh, no is... No way. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty filled in. Although, Hooker, Gagey, McGregor, Poirier, like Ferguson? No way. Well, well let, let's look at it this way for a second, right? Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, after him, after Tony fights Khabib, they're no longer, you know, coming up for a title anytime soon. We're going to assume that Khabib retains here just for the sake of this conversation. I know Tony's is di- literally the most dangerous opponent that Khabib has faced thus far. McGregor's already lost to Khabib, although, uh, you know, I know the UFC says they want that matchup. I don't think that's going to happen. Gagey, it sounds like, might end up fighting McGregor. And then Dan Hooker walked away with a super close split decision win. I don't know if that's title shot worthy per se. So I think I think it, it could be somewhat up for grabs unless they decide for a money fight with McGregor. I think it basically leaves a lot of opportunity for the bottom half of that top 10. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, looking at the rest of the card, Neil Magny comes back after 19 months and styles all over. I think it was 19 months. Styles all over uh, Ling Jing Lang. Magny's striking looked way better than it has in the past, and it's and you know Jing Lang or Lee was isn't really a slouch. No, he's not. So I was I I thought I thought Magny looked refreshed. He thought he looked strong. He kept the distance great, and he really mixed it up. He threw terrific combinations. Yeah, it's not like Li Jingliang's win streak was against top, top competition. Kind of middle-level UFC fighters, besides Elisio Zaleski Dos Santos, who prior to that fight was considered a real prospect. And he made him look very human. And I think this kind of puts Zaleski potentially in a new perspective, having seen Neil Magny beat up Li Jingliang the way that he did last weekend. Magny, it's interesting, he popped for some kind of a prohibited substance. I think that has to do with... I think that has to do with steroids. Um, served out his suspension, came back looking bigger and stronger, and honestly striking and 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 wrestling as a bigger, stronger man. Um, interested to see where this goes for him. You would just think like him on the comeback. Uh, when you look back at his wins, they're not that impressive, right? But I think Li Jingliang is only really impressive win if 
you assume that he's now suddenly elite after that Zalaski win. Um, I'm not so sure anymore, but Magny definitely, definitely looked good on his comeback. Yeah, I thought he was awesome. We had uh, Max Griffin and Charles Oliveira at a barn burner that was exactly what you would expect from those guys. Yep. Felt bad for Max Griffin because he's really seemed like he had a shot um, to sh- to really. Sh- he's he's been on the the bad end of some decisions. Um, it it looked like it could have been an opportunity for him to get a, a signature win and turn a corner, and it didn't really happen. Uh, yeah. But it was so it was so so close. Um, and, you know, Cowboy Oliveira is a tough out. That's what they call gatekeepers because they keep the gates. Yes, sir. And, and these guys both, I think, could be kind of classified as gatekeepers, except I think Oliveira's losses are to a higher level of competition. But both guys going into this fight anyway, they had eight losses apiece. So not exactly the cream of the crop. Oliveira looked good in this one after three losses. He badly needed it. Then I think an exciting fighter like himself, he's going to have uh, a ticket to stay in the UFC for a long time. It's not like his management's going to demand that he gets paid double or triple or, or, or anything like that. The UFC will keep an exciting guy like him around regardless. But good to see him get into a win here. And I'm not sure that Max Griffin's going to stick around in the UFC after this one. He's now 1-4 in four in his last five. Things aren't looking too good for him. But I, I like the guy. And he. I think you alluded to the fact that he looked in better shape than usual in this one. So yeah. he is improving. He, his third round is in the last two fights has been better than his third rounds in the prior fights used to get tired quite a bit. So uh, props to him, but Oliveira walked away with a much, much needed victory here. Sean O'Malley first round knockout of Jose Alberto Quinones styling and profiling. No fucking joke, Nick. The kid is super fast. He's super tall. He's got serious snap in his punches and that was more than enough here. He's obviously a young prospect to watch. Yeah, he's great. He was practically breakdancing in there. Unfortunately, on the prospect side, uh, Darren Wynn, you know, he did his best. He's just so little. He looks like somebody took a DC clone out of the oven too early. He's just <laughs> like, he throws hands like DC, but he's little, and he hurt he hurt Mirshak a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, he throws these great hands. He punches just like DC, and he had that terrific throw. But he's like, he's a little dude, and he gets tired because he's, you know, he's carrying a lot of weight. Um and he just, you know, he doesn't seem to game plan particularly well. And he was in there against a guy that looked, you know, three three or four weight classes higher than him. Like, I think the way the weight classes are in the sport, he's a guy that's got to get down to, you know, forget 185. He's got to get down to 155 or 145. Like, dude's 5'6". He like, missed he weight at 185, so I, I, don't think, I, know. I don't think 155 is an option. No, but that, no that's, a di- that's, a, that's a diet problem. That means, he, that means dude's going to Chipotle. Like, I mean, his, his best weight competing in wrestling was 189. Now, granted, in wrestling, it's different because you're essentially uh, – he's essentially facing the waist of his opponents, right, at his full height at 189 yeah. pounds. So it gives him an advantage. Opponents can't really shoot on him, can they? They can't get under those uh, very short, uh, stubby arms. So – it's an advantage in wrestling. It's a disadvantage here. Gerald Merchart was much slower. He was much, much taller. He hit much less hard, right? But he discovered yeah. the body shot in that second round, kind of like yeah. uh, Daniel Cormier had to suffer against in his last fight against Miocic. And when essentially, I think there's one major thing that I learned about him. One, his cardio is not that great. Two, he doesn't really have a whole lot of heart, and that's something that Cormier will always have over a guy like Darren Wynn. There's you know, a lot more. And by the way, your joke about him being half-baked is pretty spot on. His issue is that he gave up that Conor McGregor choke. 
he made absolutely no attempt to defend the choke. Yeah, he was done. He was yeah. done. And he was mentally done. I know he was hurt on the feet before it happened, but he was mentally done. He absolutely gave up that loss. He didn't try to defend it. And it's disappointing to see, look, he's not going to be anything special, in my opinion, given what we've seen so far, given the height disadvantage, given the fact that he doesn't have very solid conditioning. I mean, those are three variables that if they're all going against you, like you're probably not going to be a high-level MMA fighter. But I'm sure he'll be semi-exciting for a bit. And who knows, maybe he'll he'll fix uh, the mental issue that made him literally just give up that loss, man. He... Yep. He wasn't going to win this decision, but but he literally just absolutely wanted to be choked, and, and he did. Jika Chikadze and Jamal Embers had an exciting fight. Um, I thought Jika was doing a pretty good job considering he took this fight on like two days' notice or something. Jamal Embers looked good, you know, decent in his UFC debut, but I think he should absolutely thank his lucky stars that he didn't have to fight Movsar Evloev, who was his originally scheduled opponent. That guy would have thrashed him. Yeah, I thought he deserved the win, and this was the fight you actually you won. You won this week. We we were each four and one in our picks, and this was the tiebreaker fight, right. and it went to a split decision, and I think it went the wrong way. But <laughs> you know, you got you got another week, so it's for five one and one now. Oh yeah, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit annoyed about about that, but whatever. I mean, pretty good fight. Chikadze was great on the microphone afterwards, uh, shouting out for his home nation of Georgia. Just seems like a real good guy. Yeah. Um, then the only other real fight, I mean, uh, we don't have to talk uh, about the opener too much, I don't think, but uh, Rodolfo Vera, a highly decorated grappler, um, came in the biggest the favorite on the card by a factor of like three and um, almost got upset. Uh, Saberbek uh, Safarov landed a front kick uh, to the face that cut his eye badly and staggered him. But he's a big, thick neck motherfucker, and yeah. he, um, you know, he just he just fought for that takedown. And even though Safarov is no isn't known to be a, an incredible slouch off of his back, he's got some mission victories and such. Um, it was just a matter of time because you're dealing with one of the best top games on the planet. Yeah, Rodolfo Vera looks like a goddamn superhero. He makes somehow he makes Yoel Romero look like just like you know an shaped guy who works out once in a while. The man is just absolutely shredded. Um, I like I'm still flabbergasted at the fact that he keeps passing all these USADA tests. The man must have special, special genetics. Um, and quickly, Dana Batgarel knocked out Guido Canetti in the first round. The only reason I really want to talk about this one is because I think Guido's coming off of a uh, suspension for some kind of an anabolic steroid, if I'm not mistaken, and that's why he was gone for a couple of years. And he's, you know, a 40-year-old man who came back and, man, not only did he look 40, but all the explosiveness, all the power that he had in his prior fights, it wasn't there anymore. And I just think that deserves special mention. I know the guy's not young, but the fact that he went from piecing up Marlon Vera early in that first round, doing really well against Kyung Ho Kang uh, early in that first round. These are some pretty solid level fighters at 135 to Dana Barcarell just ran over him and Gennetti barely tried to throw a thing. So I just think it's worth mentioning considering just he just came back a completely different person. This is a super fast, explosive athlete outside of that, but a good win for Batgarel. That'll do it for this card, Nikolai. We're going to take a break. Segment two, we're going to break down this weekend's UFC Fight Night from Brasilia, Brazil. And after that, we're going to give you guys our betting recommendations. Nick, I'm coming off of another profitable week. So it's nice to it's nice to be me right about now, Nick. Five, one and one, motherfucker. We'll be back. I think it's I think it's always it's always pretty good to be you. I appreciate you saying that, but you know what, Nick? I have some dark moments. Some dark moments where I cry into my pillow. And I'll wait. I'm waiting for one of those. <laughs>
during. <laughs> I, I will let you know, buddy. <laughs> that's that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to spring. <laughs> Let's take a break. Uh, come back and break down this weekend's UFC fight night, Nick. This is for the dozens and dozens of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast listeners. Knowing that you're a bunch of social media influencers, mavens, and mentors, I'd like to ask you to use your prestige to let people know about the podcast. We put a lot of work and research into this series, and we'd love to grow our listenership and expose more people to it. If you know someone who's into MMA but has not given us a listen, give them a heads up. I mean, who doesn't want to hear Nick and I taking turns boasting about the prior week's results, am I right? And we are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick and I get to make our draft picks the way that it works. Most of you folks know we each take turns picking a fighter on the card at the end of Saturday night's event. Whichever of us has picked more winners ends up winning that week. As we mentioned in the last segment, yours truly is in the lead. Nikolai, I get the first pick this week. My first one is going to be Amanda Rebos to beat Randa Marcos. Reboss is the second biggest favorite on the card. I think she deserves to be the biggest favorite on the card based on her performance against Mackenzie Dern in her last bout. Um, I thought she looked particularly good in that one and came up as a big underdog and made Dern look pretty human. She avoided all takedowns and was able to piece her up standing with nothing fancy, but she was able to do whatever she wanted in that fight. And I think Randa Marcos has a streak in the UFC, Nick. She goes win-loss, 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 win-loss. That has been the case ever since 2015. She hasn't gotten a single losing or winning streak since then. And Nick, she is coming off of a split decision win over Ashley Yoder. That only means that it's uh, Amanda Rebus's turn to beat her. So I like Amanda Rebus here. I think she can avoid the takedowns, and on the ground she should be okay at the very least against Randa Marcos. Rebus is a good overall fighter, and there's a reason that American Top Team is very excited about her. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, all the same. That was going to be my first pick, so I'm a little disappointed about that. Oh yeah, but I've got I've got a I think a pretty good second pick um, lined up. I think it's the biggest uh, the biggest favorite on the card, which is Hanato Moicano over Demir uh, Hadzevic. This is a tricky pick because Moicano's coming off of two losses, but uh, to extremely elite competition. And he's still like a top six or seven fighter, and he's fighting a guy that's not ranked in Demir Hadzovic, who hasn't faced nearly uh, the level of competition that he has. So, you know, you go into this kind of hopeful that, that this is a fight where Moicano rega- regains his footing, um, hopefully has a chance to style on him a little bit. He, I think he's, you know, he's pretty good everywhere. And, I mean, is there anything you think that he's got to worry about from Hadzovic? Uh, just the power. I mean, he was knocked out two fights in a row, and Demir Hadzovic hits pretty hard. He also, in his UFC debut, was able to get a win after getting dominated for two rounds with a comeback knockout. So he's got heart. He oh, hits yeah. hard. Uh, there's things on paper here, but I like Moicano's height advantage, and I like the fact that on the ground he should essentially have his way. I, I don't think he'll have too much of a problem with Demir here, but again, his chin might be the liability. What's your next pick? My next picnic, and I'm actually kind of fighting myself over this because there's there's three fights that I'm very seriously considering. I think I'm going to go with Francisco Trinaldo to beat John MacDessie as my second pick. Yeah, uh, good pick. Yeah, first of all, this fight is in Brazil, which you know, in any close on paper matchup, yeah, yeah, you can you know you, you can explain going the Brazilians' route, but 
in this case, I just feel like Francisco Trinaldo, when he loses, it's not to the John McDessies of the world. He tends to lose to much higher-ranked opponents who are much more well-known for being killers, right? Alexander Hernandez, a young uh, up-and-coming kid who, by the way, a lot of people think didn't deserve the decision win over him. James Vick, who was much taller and had a real stride, 12-1 at the time. Kevin Lee he lost to. And outside of that, you got to look back to 2014 for his loss prior to that. He had a big win streak. Um, and he's got wins over some pretty good fighters. Jim Miller, Evan Dunham, Bobby Green. And I know that one was very close to him. Could have gone either way. I just feel like Muck Desi is not quite on this level. So I expect Oliveira to win you know, a, a hard-fought decision where he puts some numbers on him. And I, I don't know that McDessey will necessarily have the wherewithal to take advantage of the fact that Trinaldo will be tired late. What do you think? Um, my feeling is that I'm looking at the reach right now. I mean, Trinaldo's 5'9", 70-inch reach. Uh, McDessey's is 5'8", with 68-inch reach. But to me, like, I always see John McDessey as a small guy who fights big who fights like he's bigger than he is. Yeah. And I see Francesco Ronaldo as a bigger as actually a big guy who fights with with uh, quickness and athleticism that it seems like he's smaller than he is. Um so in of the of in those two I just think that tr- the combination of Ronaldo's ath- you know his athleticism uh, and his uh and his size and power are going are going to be the difference. McDessie's got some pop and can land some fancy spinning shit. But Trinaldo's just one of those guys that that hurts people. People don't usually leave fights with Francesco Trinaldo looking great. Um, so I think I, I think that it's his. I think it's his fight uh, to lose, and he's probably gonna. I see John McDessie wearing the crimson mask. I could see it. I could see it happening either way. Actually, yeah, McDessie's a guy who he's had issues with focus. He's had issues kind of walking into a fight with his game face on. Now he trains at Syndicate MMA, so maybe that'll increase his chances of success in this one. But uh, yeah, it's Trinaldo all the way for me. What's your next pick, buddy? Uh, all the rest of my picks are crazy, I think, or and not necessarily ones that I'm going to make uh, with incredible comments. I'm going to go to the main event now. I'm going to pick Kevin Lee over Charles DeBronx Oliveira. Um, Kevin Lee has had some, um, you know, he's come up against some tough opposition and come on the on the wrong side of things a few times prior to the Gregor Gillespie fight. Um, which is viewed as a turnaround fight, even though Gillespie still in, in the UFC is certainly can be considered in, can can be considered a neophyte. Um, but Kevin Lee is he's big and he's strong and he's good everywhere. Um, Charles Oliveira, who's been a great fighter to watch, he's been in the UFC for ten years now across different weight classes. Obviously known for his submission game, he's got a little pop. Um, but I I think that the that the power and the strength of Kevin Lee um, is going is going to win this fight. Oliveira's wins too are not. He doesn't have a lot of signature wins against top ten competition. Um, and when he is in there against those guys, he doesn't usually submit them. He usually gets knocked out. Uh, and I think that I think that Kevin Lee's just is. I think Kevin Lee's going to put going to going to put a hurt on him before he can do anything. Kevin Lee is not as much as I like Nick the Carney Lance. Kevin Lee is not Nick the Carney Lance. <laughs> And I think I think he's gonna uh, I think he's gonna do some damage. The only way that the chance that Oliveira has is if Lee makes a really really stupid mistake and gets caught in a triangle or something like that. Oliveira does not I don't think have the strength to um, to take an arm. Uh, you know, as long as Kevin Lee can protect his neck in some weird positions, I think he should be okay. What do you think? So 
I think that I actually disagree with this pick when I spoke moments ago about potentially picking an underdog. It was going to be Oliveira, who is a slight underdog in this case. I think Olive- I, I just talk. I just talked you out of it with my analysis. Uh, no, oh no, I, I still, I still, <laughs> I still believe that Oliveira is going to win the fight. I mean, there's a few factors to consider, right? Not only is Oliveira on a pretty impressive winning streak at this point in his career. Let's see, he has six wins in the UFC lightweight division in a row. Clay Guida, Chagos, Jim Miller, David Tamer, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon. Now, none of these guys are the very top of the top, right? But guys like Tamer, guys like Lentz, guys like Gordon, um, these are kind of up-and-comer. Well, maybe Lentz is not an up-and-comer. He's a veteran. But these are really skilled guys who can beat the majority of the rest of that division. Jim Miller's a super crafty guy. and He was probably at a pretty bad point back when he lost to Oliveira. I just feel like Oliveira has always been extremely dangerous on the ground. And now he's come to a point where not only is he comfortable taking strikes, but he's also very dangerous standing up, as exemplified by his overhand right and uppercut finish of Jared Gordon in the first round. Gordon can get caught, but man, he just pieced him up every moment until that 126 in the first round period. I expect that Oliveira should have the ability to finish Kevin Lee here. The thing about Kevin Lee is, I know like lately his record hasn't been good. He's 2-3 and three in his last five. Outside of that, a pretty damn impressive record overall. And he's got a wealth of experience in the UFC. He's a guy that generally used to put so much pressure on his opponents and that used to get him really tired. The problem is that when Kevin Lee is going to be putting the pressure on here, if he is, Oliveira is at his best in those first two or three rounds, right? Oliveira can lose heart, as we've seen years ago. Uh, he can potentially take a big shot and crumble, which is always a possibility here. I just feel like Oliveira at this point is ready for a top guy. And facing a top guy that is coming off of you know a few losses, that's better for, I think, his ability to mentally focus and believe in himself in this fight for Oliveira than if he were get, going up against the guy who's on a 10-fight winning streak at lightweight. So I do. I like Oliveira. I think he's more dangerous standing. He is more dangerous on the ground than Kevin Lee is. Kevin Lee tends to finish quite a bit of his fights with rear naked choke. I don't expect that to happen, at least early on in the fight. Now, there is a variable that I think could change some things. Kevin Lee now trains with Faraz Zahabi at TriStar Gym. And I could see Zahabi figuring out the perfect game plan for Oliveira. That's probably his best shot. Obviously, Kevin Lee's extremely strong. He's just as tall as Oliveira, but he's way bigger and stronger, uh, just thicker overall. There's a reason he went up to 170 at some point, whereas Oliveira used to fight at 145. So size-wise, I can see Kevin Lee having the edge. But just because Kevin Lee got that knockout over Gregor Gillespie in a fight that honestly was extremely competitive, and had he not landed that head kick, I wonder what would have happened. It could have still gone either way. So I do like Oliveira here. I think Oliveira can finish potentially on the ground and on the floor, and I think it's very likely that this fight ends before we go into the fourth round. Wow. Well, are you willing to make a dinner bet over that I'm fight? down. Let's, why the heck not, Nick? We only live All once. Right. Let's do that. Dinner bet, uh, max max, uh, max bill of a C-note. What's a C-note? That's $100, Stan, in American dollars. I'm down, Nicola. I'm excited. Okay. Let's do it. Um, all right. What's your pick? My next pick, Nick, is going to be a guy that's coming off of a loss against a guy who's 20-1. and one. I'm going to pick Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos to beat Alexi Kunchenko. Alexi has a sterling record on paper. Looks really goddamn good, right, when you see that 20 with a 1 next to it. 
But so far in the UFC, he's been largely underwhelming. Even in his wins, they're kind of ho-hum, boring fights that, you know, on paper you would expect a young prospect to look more dominant against guys like Tiago Alves and Yushin Okami. And he lost to Gilbert Burns, I thought, fairly decisively against a dynamic offensive Brazilian. And I think that the dynamic offensive Brazilian that he's about to face here will give him trouble as well. Look, there's a chance that Zaleski Dos Santos, who himself is not that young of a man, he's now, I mean, athletically not that young, he's 33 years old, to uh, Alexis 35. If Alexis Zaleski Dos Santos is three quarters the fighter that he used to be before his last Lee Jing Liang fight, I expect him to do his thing here. I expect him to pick up a win He's the taller man in this matchup. He's busier, more dynamic standing on the floor. I'm not very worried about him at all. I just feel like Alexi is, there's no dynamism to the guy. There's nothing very dangerous about him. And uh, I expect Zaleski to look good. What are your thoughts? I really had this as a pick em. Uh I like Kachenko a little bit more uh, in his fights than you do. But I push came to shove. I was probably going to take Zaleski. So, yeah, I think I think you, uh, you know, you give pretty good analysis for a guy that kind of knows his shit. Um, my next my, my next fight, if you're probably going to disagree with, but I, I am off the Johnny Walker hype train. I'm going to pick Nikita Krylov uh, to beat Johnny Walker. Yeah. Krylov's been around the block. He's fought everybody. I mean, he's fought a lot of dudes. He's won a lot and he's lost some. Um, but I just don't. You know, Misha Serkinov, um got kind of surprised. It wasn't quite sure what, I, you know, it, we, people were still learning about Johnny Walker there. I don't think Krylov's going to stand there and get charged at or run into anything. Like, he's a, he's a smart, crafty guy who can win on the feet and win on the ground. Um, who's gone, you know, who's gone the distance with Glover Teixeira uh, and fought uh, certainly other pow- other powerful guys. Um, he's been def- he's been beaten by strikes, I believe, but he doesn't he just doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to get mauled um, and and you know trucked over by Johnny Walker. And we've yet to see what Johnny Walker's plan B is. So I I like uh, I like Nikita Krylov to play spoiler here and essentially relegate Johnny Walker. Um, back to the uh, prelims. I actually agree with the picnic. I think that Johnny Walker is susceptible. As much as he's extremely dangerous in the first few moments of a fight, he's also susceptible to losing in the first few moments of a fight, just judging on uh, his loss even prior to this one, where he lost to Henrique da Silva in the first round at 18 seconds. I don't think he has the greatest chin in the world, and I also am not convinced that he has the best cardio against a similarly athletic opponent. And Nikita Krylov is kind of also there, right? Except Nikita doesn't really get sparked in the first few moments. Nikita is extremely dangerous in the first few moments. He gets exhausted every time by about the four-minute mark, right? But for those four minutes, you are in extreme danger. For many fighters, it's about as much danger as they've ever been in, in their careers up until that point. I think it's probably going to be the case here if... If Johnny Walker lost by first-round knockout to Corey Anderson, I think it could be pretty shocking what Nikita could do for about a round. But having said that, both guys have the finishing prowess to end this fight at any moment in the first six or seven minutes. So I could certainly see Johnny Walker walking away with a flying knee knockout or something of that sort. Um, I also, by the way, think Nikita Krilov probably has the better ground game than Walker. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. So, yeah, we, we agree on that, although that was one of my last few picks because I actually expected you and I to disagree on it. Um, next, Nick, I am going to pick 
This is where it gets tough because I do think every one of these, regardless of what the odds say, are very close fights. I think I'm going to take Bruno Silva to beat David Dvorak. Dvorak is actually yep. a pretty good 125-pounder. He you know, is on the Russian-Ukrainian regional scene and you know, there's been a couple of decent opponents with decent records and then a bunch of opponents who don't have the best of records. I think that this is going to be a much higher level of competition than Bruno Silva. The thing about Silva is that he trains with one of the best fighters in the world, the best fighter on the planet at either weight division that he's competing at in the UFC in Henry Cejudo. He made his UFC debut against the much, much bigger man in Khalid Taha, one weight division above, and Khalid didn't make weight. And honestly, outside of the moments where he was hurt by Khalid two or three times, he looked really good in that fight. He never stopped trying. He never gave up. He ended up getting submitted, by the way, as the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu expert. That doesn't look great in that third round. But it was after Khalid once again hurt him. Um, I think that Bruno Silva will have the heart that David Dvorak's last 13 or 15 opponents haven't had. Dvorak actually has uh, a really good record in his last 15 fights. He's been undefeated. Uh, in his last 13 fights, I believe, undefeated. But I expect this higher level of competition to do well here, training with some of the best fighters on the planet. He's got really respectable stand-up and really good ground game, so I think there's some options for Bruno Silva. Even though, by the way, Dvorak also has some power and also has pretty good submission ability. I just don't know that he can apply it at this level uh, quite the same way. I had the same pick as you uh, on this on this fight, um, and I'm gonna pick <coughs> I'm gonna pick another underdog next. I'm going to maybe steal this one from you. I'm going to pick your boy, Brendan Moreno, to upset uh, Juicer from Ija. I like it. Um, I just think Moreno's on the way up. From Ija's a tough, tough dude. I mean, he beat, you know, he beat Davison Figueredo a year ago, um, you know, before getting floored by uh, Benavidez. That was a pretty fierce knockout he took from Benavidez also. Um and just he's also he's also to Roy Borg. He's also Zahudo. I feel like Moreno is a scrappy, take it everywhere tough guy um, who can pressure. And I think that those are the kind of guys that Formija has the most trouble with. Um, so I think I think it could be a nice coming out party for Moreno. Either that or he goes out on his shield um, because that's how he fights. But I like I like Moreno to win this fight and really announce himself as a uh, as a flyweight contender. I'm glad you made that pick because, I mean, that was, again, one of uh, one of my two last picks along with Johnny Walker, Nikita Krilov. I just feel like it's such a pick man. As much as I'm a big, big believer in Brandon Moreno, he's coming back and looked really good in his, in his UFC return so far. But Jose Formiga trades with the American top team. He's a Brazilian fighting in Brazil in a fight that I see as a toss-up. So I, I kind of ended up edging Formiga's way. I think he might be able to get takedowns. He's the kind of guy that if he gets a takedown, he's probably going to keep you down unless you're uh, somebody like Joseph Benavides. I think he will get the occasional takedown against Moreno, the assassin baby, who gave up several takedowns two fights ago uh, against Oscar Oskarov. And that kind of gives me the impression that Hussier, who, I mean, he gets takedowns in almost all of his fights, Nick. So uh, I just think he might do enough in the first half of that fight. And even if he's a little bit tired in that third round, I don't know that Brandon Moreno can finish him. I expect Formiga to pick up a decision, but I could certainly see Moreno doing the same here. Uh, fact is, I would prefer to see Moreno win. So I hope you're right. Next, Nick. Ah, this is all really tough. A bunch of goddamn pickups. I'm going to take 
a guy that's actually further down on my list for some reason. I'm feeling Enrique Barzola and his ability to beat Hani Yaya. Yep. Uh, Hani Yaya is not super athletic. He doesn't have the best wrestling, but it's you know improving. And he isn't a very good striker at all. His jiu-jitsu is out of this world, though. The thing about Enrique Barzola is that he's probably got like 30 takedowns in his UFC career. And he's only been taken down five times in his entire UFC career, four times in his last fight against Mofsad Efluev, who's an excellent, excellent grappler, excellent takedown artist. I don't expect for him to get taken down in this one, Nick. I think that he should be able to look pretty good, certainly until his opponent gets tired. And that's when Barzola, I mean, Barzola doesn't usually finish, but he'll have the opportunity on this one, I think, in the third round. I just think he's going to be way faster than Hani. He's going to be able to avoid most takedowns, maybe even score a takedown or two uh, without staying on the floor with Yaya. Yaya is only dangerous for about seven or so minutes, so I expect Barzola to look good here. Yeah, I had the I had the same pick um, as you there. And on my next one, I'm going to go and support my fellow old man. I'm going to pick Damian Maya to upset Gilbert Burns. I'm picking a lot of up, a lot of underdogs on this card. We'll see how it goes for me. I like it. Tell me why, Nick. I mean, could because he's Damian fucking Maya. Because <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert Burns is obviously terrific. Um, but I, you know, eventually Maya will get that backpack and not many people can stop it. So I ended up edging toward Gilbert Burns by a small margin and part I fig- of, I figured, I figured you would. Yeah. Uh, and I think I agreed with you on a couple of the other underdogs that, uh, that, that you picked, uh, on this card, but this one I see is a little bit different. And part of the reason for that, Nick, is that Gilbert Burns has really good stats when it comes to takedown offense and defense. If you look at his last many fights, he has takedowns against almost every opponent that he wanted to take down against. Dan Hooker is the last opponent that he did not take down, and Dan Hooker was able to knock him out. Outside of that, he's got takedowns on every single other opponent. And the truth of the matter is that in his last six fights in the UFC, he's given up zero takedowns. And he's fought guys that tend to get the occasional takedown, like Alexei Kunchenko, Gunnar Nelson. He fought Olivier Ben Marcier, who's a much bigger man. Um, no, so, he got he got beat by two guys who get a lot of takedowns, and Magomedov and Michelle Prezeris. True, but that was back in 2016 and 2015. It was. It was a long time ago. Right. So I I think that he should be able to out-tough Maya because another factor in this is that Maya is going to be exhausted in the second half of the fight, maybe worst, best case in the last five minutes of the fight. And Gilbert Burns will be trucking on all cylinders. I know Maya's probably the bigger man coming down from 185, and Gilbert Burns, the smaller man coming up from 155. Just think about the fact that there was 30 pounds between these two guys a year, uh, maybe three or four years ago. But I do, I, I think Gilbert Burns is going to be more athletic, he's going to be faster. I like the fact that he just beat Jake Shields in a grappling match, and Jake Shields is somebody that went back and forth in a super, super close fight with Damian Maya. I think I ended up beating Damian Maya uh, several years back. I know that Jake Shields is an older man now, but he's probably on the juice. And uh, granted, that was his third or fourth grappling match of the night. He was probably tired, and that's maybe a factor. But I just like his takedown stats. I like how dynamic he'll be on the feet. And I think Damian Maya is edging closer and closer to the twilight. At 42 years old, he's facing, by the way, a fellow jiu-jitsu expert. I know Gilbert Burns is not on the same level as Damian Maya, but he's not leagues below. And most of oh, Damian he's very Maya's, good. Right, and most of Damian Maya's opponents are leagues below. Also, Gilbert Burns' brother so far looks spectacular on the ground from what I've seen. He looks like he's an elite grappler as well. On top of that, 
Gilbert Durinho Burns trains with a guy that beat Damian Meyer recently. Trains with a guy that's going to teach you how to avoid takedowns in Kumar Usman, the champion at welterweight. So for all of those reasons, I did end up edging toward Gilbert Durinho's way. But I'm going to recommend a bet on Damian Meyer because I think these odds are a little too lopsided. My next pick, Nick, is going to be Veronica Macedo to beat Bay Maleki. Or is it maybe Bay Maleki? Maleki actually trains with a pretty solid team, Fortis MMA. Trades with an elite team. She's a kickboxing champion, but watching footage of her, she's not that great standing. She's just really tall. She throws straight punches, but really slowly, including in her UFC debut. He was honestly, she was getting outstruck by like a 3-0 MMA fighter who has, as far as I can tell, no kickboxing experience. She had to take her down and get a submission. And by the way, her opponent had to pull her into mount for her to get a submission. So I like... Uh, I like Macedo's explosiveness on the feet. I think she's probably going to be faster, even though she's the shorter fighter. I think she's going to be a lot more explosive and hit harder. And Veronica Macedo, despite the fact that she's gotten submitted a few times, uh, claim, like claims to have a black belt, and apparently she got it in Brazil. I don't think it's very legit based on her performances thus far, even though she did in her last fight get a beautiful armbar against a fellow Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. But I, I definitely like uh, Macedo. Hopefully this headache issue that had her pull out of her last fight won't be a problem in this one, Nick. Yep, I had this. I had the same. Despite uh, B. Malecki's uh, amazing uh, nickname. Oh my God, what is it? Now I'm forgetting it. What is her nickname? Let me look I've, at her now. It's like it's it's really funny. Yeah, bad news. Bad Barbie. news, Barbie. That is cute. I love that, Nick. All right, last pick of the night. This one's tough because I like uh, I like Mariana Moroz quite a bit, but I'm going to pick Myra Bueno Silva um, on the strength of her submission game uh, to probably you know find find an arm uh, or a choke over the course of the fight. I just have a lot uh, more faith in. I, I I think she'll be able to get the fight to the ground and on the ground Brazilian against Ukrainian. You tell me. Yeah, I do hear that. Uh, Myra Bueno is actually pretty explosive standing up as well. But Mariana Moroz is really legit. Uh, trades with the American top team and came together with a really good game plan in her last fight against a girl that's looked really, really good since fighting Moroz. And Sabina Mazo beat Mazo in Mazo's UFC debut. And I think that change in camp really attributed to that and helped her. But I do hear you. She, uh, Silva's going to be bayed by the crowd. They're going to give her uh, a lot of support and encouragement here. And she's explosive standing. She's dangerous on the ground, even off her back. Um, I I can see her winning this fight, but I could absolutely see Marina Burrows winning a decision by out-veteraning the uh, less experienced opponent in this one, Nick. So I think we're on the same page in most of our picks. I think there was only one that we officially disagreed on. And uh, which fight was that? Well, Moreno oh. for Maja, which is your, which is your, your, your picking against your you're fight. Right. You've got, you're right. Because you lack lo- you lack loyalty. Hey, and I, n- I never, I never said I was marrying Moreno. I just said I was impressed with the guy. Jeez, Nikolai, never emailed him, never sent him any money. It's a, uh, it's a little different. I don't know that that's true. <laughs> um, oh, we also disagreed on Kevin Lee and Charles Oliveira. Let me quickly run oh, yeah. down through our picks, Nick. Your uh, first pick was Renato Maicano. Second, Charles Oliveira. Third, Nikita Krilov. Fourth, Brandon Moreno. Your fifth pick was Damian Maya. And your sixth pick finally was uh, Myra Buena Silva. My first pick was Amanda Ribas, Francisco Trinaldo, Elizia Zaleski Dos Santos, Bruno Silva, Enrique Barzola, 
And my final pick was Veronica Macedo Nick. Uh, this should be interesting. I could certainly see it go either way because we agreed on a lot of them, and I think uh, I think we both prioritized pretty well on this one as far as our picks go. We're going to take a break, come back, and tell you guys where to deposit your money this weekend. The MMA Geek C-Level Podcast is back, and we're going to get into our betting guide, Nikolai. Last week, you didn't have any bet suggestions for our listeners. Tell us what you recommend this week, buddy. I got a uh, an, uh, an ill-advised triple parlay. <laughs> if, I put, if I put 50 bucks on the combination of Kevin Lee, Nikita Krylov, and Brandon Moreno... $50 will pay out $446.80. Now, if you want to get really insane and do the quadruple and throw the other underdog, Damian Maya, in there, at that point, $50 will net you $1,291.36. Go for it, Nick. So that's three underdogs and one favorite. It could happen. Yeah, I, your worst case is that that parlay busts with like Kevin Lee losing or something, and then not only do you owe me dinner... But then you lost the 50. Do you recommend the bet on uh, three of those fighters or my included? Three of those fighters. I'm not I'm not so foolish as to – I just thought it was interesting to see. But, uh, yeah, to see to see what the odds would be. So uh, last week I had another profitable week. It wasn't by much. I'm not going to lie to you guys. But being in the green is being in the green, and I'm glad for it. This week I'm going to recommend a straight bet on Oliveira to beat Kevin Lee, $30 to win 33 Bruno Silva – to beat uh, Dvorak, $35 to win 29. Elizia Dos Santos at minus 135 to beat Kunchenko, 35 bucks to win 26. Maya by decision. The prop odds are not out yet, Nick, but I do recommend putting 10 bucks on him. That way, I figure you get something like plus 250, maybe plus 280. I just feel like if Maya wins this fight, it's probably not going to be by finishing Gilbert Burns, who's very submission savvy. And I think him being an underdog is a nice opportunity for betting because I do consider it a pick-em fight on paper. And I also recommend a bet on Krylov to beat Walker in round one. Krylov's an underdog at plus 130 on a straight bet, but for him to win in round one, I'd imagine the odds would be quite a bit different. So I recommend uh, five bucks on that one because, quite frankly, uh, not seeing the odds, you don't even know if it'll be worth it. I think if Krylov has a round uh, prop, it's going to be pretty high in the first round. So... That'll do it for that, Nick. Uh, I do want to quickly mention a couple of fight announcements that came out recently. Peter Yan versus Marlon Marais for probably the number one contendership at the 135-pound division. Excited about that one, Nick. Any thoughts? In, in It's in Russia, right? Or, or Kazakhstan? I think it is, yeah. In, in Kazakhstan, if I remember correctly. Kaz- Kazakhstan? You're right. Okay. That's pretty exciting. That is fascinating. I think a lot of it will depend on how deep the fight goes and if Marlon Marais will have the gas tank to keep fighting Peter Yan, even if he lands some bombs on him in the first couple of rounds, because Yan is pretty durable. That's two bad, two bad dudes, man. When TJ Dillashaw shows up, it's not like it's going to be a walk in the park for that that little you bro. You are not kidding. You are right about that. Yes, sir. We have Kai Carl France, who's matched up with Alex Perez. Two top flyweights. I'm excited about that matchup. I think both guys have... You know, showed one Nick in their UFC career so far. Outside of that, they've looked really, really solid. And I'm excited to see which one of these guys goes on to become a top contender after this one. I think it's going to be super exciting. I wish it was five rounds. 
But that won't be yeah, a five-rounder. Yeah, that would have been great. Curtis Blades versus Alexander Volkov. I think it's a good heavyweight fight. I think Blades, by most uh, odds, will be expected to dominate. Yeah, I think so too. And I'm glad to say that they actually remade the matchup between Ian Kutelaba and Magomed Ankalaev. We get to see how that would have played out had Kevin McDonald, had he not had a quick trigger and stopped that fight when Ian was kind of hurt on the feet. And by the way, watching a replay of that, I'm now convinced that Ian was in fact hurt by a couple of left hands that Magomed landed. Uh, he landed them pretty clean, and it seemed like that's the main time when Ian was kind of off balance. I definitely don't think that Ian Kutulaba was playing possum. Amanda Nunez versus Felicia Spencer. It sucks for Felicia Spencer to have to go against two sharks in three fights like this. She's not ready for this shit. She's a talented girl, and I think this might just ruin her career. But, you know, at least we know now Amanda Nunez is defending her featherweight championship. And uh, another fight that I thought was worth mentioning is Armand Saryukian versus Davi Ramos. Uh pretty interesting between a super prospect and a guy that still seen as a prospect even though he's in his mid-30s and Davi Ramos what are your thoughts buddy uh not a lot of a lot to say about that one I can't picture either guy off the top of my head right now <laughs> Davi Ramos is that short stocky guy who takes people down a lot yeah. I, there's there's a, there's like 300 of them. You're right. Yeah, right. that's fair. <laughs> and there's probably like 200 of them are Brazilian guys anyway. Uh, next week, Nick, we got Tyron Woodley, Leon Edwards in the main event. And outside of that, I'm not seeing a whole lot. Darren Stewart. Oh, uh, this guy is Dobby. Okay. Nah, yeah, I know Dobby Ramos. He's the guy, yeah. He looks, he's the guy that looks like uh, he's a Ramos. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, think you're, I think you're right about that, except he's less of a submission guy, more of a top-position grappler. Um, so next week's card, Nick, not a whole lot of names. Um, I could see it being what an exciting... What talking about? We got, we got Molly Meatball McCann, man. Oh, that's your that's your girl, Nikolai. Which, by the way, given your track record of loyalty, I assume you'll be picking against her. I will most likely pick Molly Meatball. I like it. She's fighting actually yeah, it's good. But again, not a whole lot I think to be excited about. Although it looks to me like... Could it be that Mike Grundy is fighting Mark Leonard Mikani next week? Is that, is 